1: Zedek is leading this this cause and gathering all these armies against uh, with him to go up and attack Gibeon because they see Gabeon now as turncoats and, and and turning against them so now they're going to attack them they're going to attack them and, and and again this is a strategic city and it's interesting that rivals they often come together when they have a common enemy How can I keep them safe?
0: Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Truth in Christ Radio. Pastor Rob continues our journey through the book of Joshua in chapter 10. Today we learn that the present king of Jerusalem, Adonai Zedek, began organizing the kings of southern Canaan to battle against the Israelites. Since Gibeon joined forces with Israel, and they both occupied the land to the north, he could not get help from the kings of northern Canaan. Even though these kings join forces to attack, we know that God is still in charge, and he allows all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. And now, let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson.
1: These literally mean one who is given, and these are basically slaves, temple slaves assigned to the Levites and the priests for service in the sanctuary. And so there were these Nethanims, and some believe that the Nethanims... Were actually Gibeonites, and there's really not a whole lot to prove that, but it's very possible because um, David will, you know, you'll see as, you, as we get on further. He, he, he employs the Nethinims, and they were servants to the Levites. So it, it very could be that these men were from the tribe or from the um, the family group of Gibeon, and it's further proof that they weren't really a parasite, really to Israel, but rather a a, a help to them. Uh, again, we don't see any problem after that that the Gibeonites caused them, other than setting a precedent. <laughs> precedent is so important, is it? Because once you do one thing, it's easy to justify it again. And it's easy to justify it again. And pretty soon, if you don't put... And see, that's the whole idea behind what God says. Because if we just follow him specifically and obediently, there won't be any of these gray areas and these meandering paths that we find ourselves in. Obedience is so critical to our walk with Jesus, to our walk with the Lord. Obedience. We must learn that. It's, it's, and it's, a, it's something that we got to... We've got to dig down deep in our heart and say, God, help me to be obedient, because in my flesh I'm weak, but you are strong. God, help me to be obedient. Because the more I'm obedient to the Word of God, the less hurt I'm going to incur on myself and those that I love around me. The more obedient I am, the closer I'm going to be to Jesus. The more obedient I am, the greater the witness to those around me. We're going to get into Joshua chapter 10 now. And uh, because it's a long chapter, we're just going to read it, and, and I'm just going to get right into it as we go along. But a couple of things that we're going to see in this chapter, we're going to see some, there's really three verses that I, I just pulled out of the Bible that really kind of summarize this this chapter, I believe. And the first one is Romans 8.28, because we're going to see uh, that um, God was going to use this issue with the Gibeonites, and he's going to work it out for the children of Israel's good. And so we know that Romans 8.28 is, we know that all things work together for the good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That's something certainly we're going to see in this chapter tonight. And also in Second Chronicles chapter 16, this is a wonderful verse too. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And certainly, Joshua's heart was loyal to the Lord. He loved the Lord. Remember, it was Joshua and Caleb 40 years earlier than what we're looking at tonight when they were in Kadesh Barnea and, 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 and they were going to send spies into the land. Remember, the 12 spies went in and, and 10 came back with an evil report, but only Caleb and Joshua came back with a good report. Right, Caleb? There was two men. That came and they brought a good report. And now Joshua, Caleb and Joshua, now Joshua, now the leader of Israel. Now he's going in and and he is going to be a, a really wonderful man. And he's a wonderful leader. But that doesn't mean that he didn't have his flaws and mistakes. There's not a leader or a person on the planet who is without flaw. You know, and in our hearts we, we we have it you know in our heart, and it's a good thing because we desire truth, we desire righteousness, we desire perfection, and God has placed that in you because one day we are going to see jesus we 're going to see God face to face, and there's a longing in your heart if you 're a Christian, you long for that time to be with him, and it 's a good thing it's a really good thing, and sometimes it breaks our heart when we don 't see sometimes the that that kind of witness here on the earth consistently it hurts doesn't it when when somebody lets you down when maybe when there's a president there could be any number of presidents that we've had throughout history and everybody's looked to a president of the united states whoever he may have been through history and they all had hopes but every man every man every woman has a chink in their armor every man has issues every woman has issues we can't escape it unfortunately we're just so inconsistent we're not fallible, or we are fallible, I'm sorry. We would like to be infallible, but there's only one. There's only one. In Job chapter 34, I love this too. Job speaking um, of the Lord, he says in verse 21 of chapter 34, he says, for his eyes, God's eyes, they're on the ways of man and sees all his steps. There is no darkness nor shadow of death, where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. And we're going to see that tonight as we read chapter 10. So just kind of tuck this away. For he need not further consider a man that he should go before God in judgment. He breaks in pieces mighty men without inquiry and sets others in their place. Therefore he knows their works. And here it is. He overthrows them in the night. And this is exactly what happened to the, 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 the people group or the, the town, the, the city of Ai. And we're going to see tonight that that's going to be the same thing that's going to happen to some of these other towns as well. He overthrows them in the night, and they are crushed. So let's get right into chapter 1. It says, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua, you might want to underline that word Jerusalem right now in your Bible, because we're going to come back to that. Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, how he heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, and he had done, uh, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. So Adonizedek we can see is this king of Israel. And this is uh, the first time, the first mention of, the, of, of, of Jerusalem in the scripture. Now the name Jerusalem. This is the first time you see the word Jerusalem in the Bible. <laughs> However... We know that, um, we'll we'll get to that. But this was a, Gibeon was a royal city. It was one of the biggest, one of the bigger cities. It was a beachhead, if you will, in the center of Canaan. That would would basically be like the middle section between the north and the south. And of course, Joshua and the children of Israel have come from the west into the east now, and they've already conquered these central cities. Now they're making their campaign now toward the south. And, um, and But Adonai Zedek is this man, he's the king of Jerusalem at this time. His name means, my lord is righteous, or lord of justice is his name. And notice that it's the first time we hear the word Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is mentioned, of course, uh, in, G- in Genesis chapter 14. Remember, after Abraham and his servants... They returned from defeating Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. This is when they took captive Lot, if you recall. And um, Abraham went and rescued his his nephew Lot. But it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And he was the priest of God Most High. And he, he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, and possessor of heaven and earth. But this this Melchizedek was a king of Salem, which is, Salem is peace, and Jerusalem is city of peace. And so many believe that this town, Salem, is one and the same as Jerusalem. And so we see the beginnings of it back here in Genesis 14, but it's the first time you'll see the name Jerusalem here in Joshua 10, verse 1. It says, and it came to pass that they, they'd heard that Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it. And, and then, um, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they greatly feared, again, because Gibeon was a great city. It was a royal city. And this infuriated the Amorites in that area because they were supposed to be one against this great company of this army of people, that had been invading the land. They should have been confederate, but the Gabeans said, you know what? After what we've heard and what we've seen, we are toast. (laughs) We're not going to survive this. And so they they made the plan. And so now the other kings and the other uh, cities all around them are thinking, okay, if that's the way you want to be, we're coming against you. (laughs) We're coming against you because they made an alliance with the Jews and therefore verse 3 Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem notice sent to Hoham king of Hebron Piram king of Jarmuth Japhia king of Lachish and Debir king of Eglon saying come up and help me that we may attack Gibeon for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. So now Adonai Zedek is leading this, this cause and gathering all these armies against, uh, with him to go up and attack Gibeon because they see Gibeon now as turncoats and, and, and turning against them. So now they're going to attack them. They're going to attack them. And, and, and again, this is a strategic city. And it's interesting that rivals, they often come together when they have a common enemy they used to be together, but now they have a, a common enemy, and now they are, are are fighting against each other and you know it would it would seem to me that if you know as a result of this happening that you would think that Joshua would be going, "Great, this is one way I can get out of my out of the promise that I made, this vow that I made to them i 'm just going to let the other um, cities why, why should we go up and and, and tear them apart and, and destroy them?" Let, their, uh, let the others do it for us, and then we'll go against those armies. It would make sense. But again, Joshua is made of different stuff. He's not... Like that, he made a vow with them, and his vow is now to protect them as well. They had become confederate with the Jews, and 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 Joshua. Instead of finding a convenient way to just dismiss himself and just turn the other cheek, just turn all he had to do was turn away and just wait another day or two and act like nothing's happening, and would be Gibeon would be no more. And then all he had to do was go after the other kings, but he didn't do that. And you know, you see this kind of thing happening. Throughout the Bible, and it's you know rivals, uh, you know once at enmity with one another, but now they come you know to a con- common enemy. It, we see it in Luke's Gospel in, tw- in chapter twenty-three. Remember when Jesus was being arraigned and and being falsely accused? That it says in verse twelve of that chapter that that very day Pilate and Herod became friends with each other. For previously they had been at enmity with each other; they hated each other. But now because of this. Uh, Of Jesus now coming before them and and being questioned all of a sudden they they, through a a weird series of events they become friends and it's very similar to what's happening here in in the life of uh, Joshua and the children of Israel and those kings that are surrounding in Psalm 2 it says this why do the heathen why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing the kings of the earth, they set themselves, they, they cement themselves, they, 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 they um, approve themselves. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And, and so you can see now that these these kings of the earth, and again, this is just uh, prophetic of, of not only um, what, what what happened then, but it, it's certainly going to happen in the future. We know that that's going to happen again in the future. But this psalm, Psalm 2, wasn't even written for 400 years after this event occurred. And so you see how God, how things really never change in regard to man. We're just kind of all the same. The Bible says that he fashions our hearts alike. He knows that we are dust. We're kind of all the same when it really comes down to the things that we need, the things that we desire. Everybody wants love. Everybody wants to be provided for. These are natural things. You want to feel apart, you want to be loved, you wanna you wanna have your needs met. These are all very natural, normal things. But it's interesting that as a result of the unfortunate alliance that they had made with Gabeon, the resulting events that would that would happen would allow Joshua to have victory over these kings in one fell swoop. What may have taken days to do now. God, even in spite of Joshua and the children of Israel's mistake, God is going to allow. Again, it's a Romans 8.28 moment. I hope you get that out of this because we're going to see that, how God used the mistake uh, Joshua made uh, with the Gibeonites to further his plan. And again, he could have done it just fine, thank you, if they would just have been obedient. But now, as a result of their disobedience, God can Oftentimes, turn that around if our hearts are right and and we're repentant, right? So going on in our text in verse 5, he says, Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, they gathered together, and they went up, they and their armies, and they camped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, because remember, the the children of Israel are still there in the plain of Jordan in in Gilgal, and they send ambassadors or a spy or two and say, Do not forsake your servants come up to us quickly, save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. And you know, that is a wonderful thing, if you think of it, certainly for their own good, but if you just spiritualize this for a moment with me, what is the greatest thing that a, a believer and an unbeliever should do? It's to go to Joshua. It's to go to Jesus. That's what Jesus' name was when he was running around uh, that house in Nazareth There in Galilee of the Gentiles, his parents didn't call him Jesus. They called him Joshua, Jehovah-shua. Joshua, come here. I'm sure they never had to reprimand him because he was always doing what his parents had asked verse 7 he says so Joshua ascended from Gilgal certainly because of where they were at again if you look at a map you know that they were in the plain of Jordan anywhere you go as they were going east, or as they were going west there's a mountain range there and you got to climb those hills so they were ascending so Joshua ascended from Gilgal he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor and there's a um there have been some who have claimed that there was actually more than one Gilgal to somehow make it more plausible that they didn't have to travel as far, but there's really no proof of that. In fact, there's a a good Bible interpretation rule, and that is, if the first sense makes sense, don't look for any other sense. If the first sense makes sense, don't try to look for any other sense, because God is not about to um he's not interested in confusing us. If he said it was a different Gilgal, he would have made mention of it. But in verse 8, it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And notice the promise here in verse 8. And, you know, when the Lord gives encouragement like this and a promise, what greater resource do you need? If God is the one who is speaking and and, and telling you what's coming and the strength and, and what he's going to provide for you, there's really no need for us to fear, although we do fear. And God knows that we are dust. He knows that we are going to fear, and that's why he mentions it. Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. And you see where God's promises, there is the enablement. Where God guides, you've heard it before, God provides. And what God pays for, or what God orders, he pays for. He's going to make sure that he takes care of his people. In Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And this is certainly something that Joshua was learning and is going to continue to learn. But as he followed and as he was obedient, he saw his God working powerfully on his and the children of Israel's behalf. He says, do not fear them, for I have delivered them. And this ought to ring a bell for Joshua because uh, there were other times that God had spoken this to him. In Romans 10, verse 17, it says faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God, and Joshua is now hearing God speak. And by hearing God speak, it invokes faith, it encourages his faith. And the Bible also says in Romans 14, verse 23, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not of faith is sin. And it is better to operate on faith rather than presumption. And that is where we have to be careful. Is when we presume to do something or presume to go forward in something that is not true or that is uncertain. But see, faith is not based on uncertainty. Faith is based on a truth that it's the, what what does the Bible say? Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. It's, It's like, it's even better than sometimes evidence because you can't always, if you see it before you, there's no need to have faith for it. But when you, and only God can give this to you. You can have this unction, this feeling, this uh, something that only God gives you that you know it's going to be done. You just, you can't put your finger on why you think it is or whatever. But he gives you the confidence. He gives you the faith to believe that he's going to do whatever it is. And that honors God. In Joshua, verse 9 in our text tonight, it says, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, came upon the, Gibe- the, Gibe- the Gibeonites and those who had uh, marshaled around the city, those other Amorite kings. And he noticed, having marched all night from Gilgal. So he, he moves in the night just as he did in Ai. Remember, they attacked Ai on, when it was dark. They had every, all the ambushment in, in order in the darkness. And finally, when they woke up in the morning, they see Joshua down in the valley with a contingent of, of army men, and they come out after them. Same kind of thing. They, they, they catch him by surprise, because nobody does that. It's not real smart when you're traveling over territory that maybe you've never been over before. This is rugged territory, and they, they've been traveling all night. And can you imagine how tired they must have been? So the Lord, verse 10, he routed them out before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and he chased them along the road that goes to beth Horon and struck them down as far as Azekah and Machidah. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Makidah, Machidah, something. (laughs) But these two towns are basically south and west of Gibeon. And so um, beth Horon actually is uh, west of, Of Gabeon and a little bit north, actually, uh, as they go, and and a couple of those towns, Makedah and Azekah, are more toward the west, southwest. In verse 11, it says, And it happened as they fled, and here's the the miracle. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon. Again, the the enemies are fleeing now because they were taken by surprise, so they're going to continue going east now. And as they go down the descent of Beth Horon, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. And there were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. And can you imagine what a blessing this was for the children of Israel? Remember, they've been marching all night. You know, one of the worst things you can do in battle is to get your army all night, moving them all night, and then fighting a battle immediately on the tippy-toes of that, of that march to get where you need to be. It's better to get there and get rested and then hit them in the, in the morning when everyone is fresh, but not so with the children of Israel. Again, God telling them what to do, and God had a plan that Joshua didn't have a clue about.
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Joshua.